Three Creepy Airport Horror Stories Story Number One Man From Nowhere by Death Girl This is an encounter from about ten years ago. It took place in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin airport. I was 19, recently independent, discovering my identity. In doing so, I had found and developed a relationship on MySpace with a girl from North Carolina. I was infatuated. We talked online, video chatted, texted, and called each other constantly for six months until we finally figured out how to meet in person. She came to visit. It was perfection. I was obsessed. And that was that. Then it came time for her to fly back to North Carolina. Here's where things start to go wrong. She had a flight to catch, and I was dragging my feet, trying to absorb every last moment and commit it to memory, as I didn't know how long it would be until I got to see her again. We boarded a city bus, bags in tow, and headed to the airport. The bus trip took longer than we had anticipated, and when we reached the airport, it was five minutes until boarding. We ran to the luggage check-in, only to be told she had missed her flight. My lollygagging had made her miss her flight. Shit. A small part of me was secretly happy, but I had no idea what to do. I didn't have a car or any money to get her another flight. However, the woman at the luggage counter found her another seat on a later flight. Eight hours later. Again, I had no car. I was planning on riding the bus back home. We really couldn't leave the airport easily, so we looked for a spot to post up for a few hours. No problem. She had her laptop and some blankets and pillows meant for use in flight. We could hang out for a little while longer. I was actually looking forward to the additional time together. So, we set off in search of somewhere to sit down and stretch out for a few hours. Meanwhile, I called my roommate at the time and asked if she could come down and bring some food and my wallet I had left at home. We combed the airport and found an empty family room, complete with chairs love seat and plenty of wall outlets even better it had a door there was also a large bathroom but the door was closed the airport was pretty desolate and there was no one waiting to use the room so we sat our stuff down we plugged in our computers got out some pillows and snuggled down to watch a movie while we waited my roommate showed up and we directed her to the room over the phone. She brought snacks and drinks and decided to wait with us and give me a ride home after. Cool, only like six more hours to go. The three of us sat in the secluded room watching movies, my roommate mostly on the phone with her girlfriend. Eventually, sometime during our second movie, we were startled by the sound of the door opening. Only 
It wasn't the door we came through, which had been closed this entire time. It was the bathroom door. A man walked through the door and sat down across from us. He had been in that bathroom the entire time we were in here. None of us had bothered to check the bathroom. The light was on, but there hadn't been any sound coming from it. The man sitting across from us was average height, a bit overweight, dark hair, olive skin. His hair was wet, and he was holding a towel, running it over his head and scrubbing at his hair, the way you do when you've just finished a shower. He didn't have on any shoes. He was barefoot. He had no luggage with him. He was wearing khaki cargo shorts, a white undershirt, and an unbuttoned Hawaiian print shirt over the top. At this point, he was sitting across from us, sitting casually, as if he hadn't been in the bathroom for more than two hours silently. Eventually, he broke the tension in the room by asking us where we were flying to. We answered as casually as possible, without giving any information away about ourselves. We asked him where he was going, and he said, Oh, wherever the wind takes me. Okay. We were vague, but that was just straight-up avoidance. I tried asking where he was from next. Oh, nowhere. I have no home country. Wait, what? I was confused. I tried to ask him where he had come from. Was he local to this city? No. No, I'm not from nowhere. I just go wherever. Okay. So now I am thinking. Maybe he is homeless and was just using the bathroom to clean up. No big deal. He will go away eventually, right? My roommate got up to go find better cell reception and walked out the door we came in through, intentionally leaving it wide open. I could see a few people walking around now, and I immediately feel better. The door is open. He can walk out whenever. We can walk out whenever. People can see us. Everything is alright. My roommate comes back in and sits down, and we hunker down for another movie. By now, the man is dozing off in the armchair he sat in, and we did our best to ignore him, making sure the door was left open and people could see us. Sometime during the millionth movie we were watching, we made a crucial mistake. We got bored and sleepy, and we dozed off. Stupid. Incredibly stupid. But it's one of those things you don't realize you've done until you've waken up. What we woke up to is forever ingrained in my memory. Hard banging on the door, the shouting of police officers, something about opening the door and walking out with hands up. My eyes dart to the door. Why can't they open the door? There isn't a lock. And then I see it 
at the bottom, maybe three or four industrial box cutters shoved underneath, wedged in to keep the door from opening. My mind is reeling. What the fuck is going on? He locked himself in here with us? How could I have fallen asleep? How could we all have fallen asleep? The man starts talking. Okay, okay, no problem. I will open the door. Hang on, just a minute. He walks over to the door and pulls the box cutters from under the door, sliding their blades back into their holes and places them in the pocket of his cargo shorts. He opens the door and the police immediately handcuff him and escort him away. All the while, he is explaining that he just wanted privacy and didn't mean any harm. Sure, dude, you needed box cutters shoved under the door for privacy while you're in a secluded room with three 19-year-old girls? Right. The police asked us if he was okay and explained that they had been looking for him. Apparently, he had a habit of coming to that airport and hiding out, harassing people, and being a general nuisance. We assured the police that we were okay, unharmed, just rattled by the whole situation. In the end, we never did find out where he was from, or where he was going. So man from nowhere, let's not meet again. Story number two. I work at the airport and a man showed me a passport from an unidentified country by Delta Smurf 768. I sit my now cold coffee just praying something interesting would happen. This is typical of most work days, except today it actually happened. It's still fresh in my head. This man walked up with the swagger of a millionaire and spoke to me in some unfamiliar language like I was supposed to know what the hell he was saying. I figured it was German or some other aggressive language because that's what it sounded like. So I notified my manager because I was not about to deal with this shit this early in the day. I simply don't get paid enough. After five minutes of my manager talking with his hands, people started getting frustrated and moving to other lines. I nudged my manager, letting him know how long this was dragging on, and he signaled that he understood. We lightly guided the man by the arm to our questioning room, because we couldn't get him to give us some form of identification. He struggled, as I would suspect most people would. This was the first time we had ever used the room since I began working here. I was kind of excited. My manager continued his arm flailing for another two minutes before I decided to step in and give it a try. I pulled out my driver's license and pointed to it and then to him, hoping something would happen. He responded with an understanding face and then his passport. His passport seemed legit, only it was from some place called Agurtha or something like that. We didn't know what to make of it, but he stared at us as serious as he could be 
letting out the occasional mumble in this still unidentified language. Eventually, we called in an officer of foreign affairs from the FBI. This thing got serious very quickly as we couldn't find any answers and the TSA doesn't fuck around. He provided unidentified currency, photos from an unidentified land, and the fucked up passport. This FBI guy was baffled. He had no clue what to do. So he eventually gave this man a map, and after some more arm flailing, managed to ask him where he was from, geographically speaking. This man looked at the map for a minute, and then adamantly pointed to the middle of the Atlantic, maybe a little closer to Britain than the US, about adjacent to New Jersey. This officer looked baffled, and after some phone calls, he took the man's bag, and after this, the man tried to fight, and ended up being placed in handcuffs and transported to a nearby jail cell. The FBI officer called in some more officers, detectives I'm assuming, and called in my manager and I. Apparently, our real-time eyewitness accounts were invaluable. We began to unpack the bag and found more ordinary objects from this unidentified land, such as postcards, a laptop with a brand no one had ever heard of, and some more photos. These photos are what has been keeping me up for the past 20 hours. They were grayscale, Polaroid-esque pictures. Their contents were of some identified land from a large tower, a bird's eye view of the city if you will. The city was decimated, bodies everywhere. The photographer seemed to be the only living one in the area. These pictures continued for what must have been 20 photos, constantly following the location of the last picture, all leading to one obscure house in this city until the last picture. It was a picture of a man looking at the camera hopelessly, hands chained to the wall with something tied in between his teeth. He still had his business attire on, but was missing a button-up under his blazer. His skin was exposed, and we could see unattended cuts festering at his skin. The man looked to be on his last breath. After seeing this, the officers apparently rushed to the jail cell for questioning, but when they got there, they were told that the man had never arrived. From this point forward, I can't attest to the validity of this story, as I have just heard from my manager what happened next. Apparently, they ordered the police station to track down the squad car using GPS, but the car's locator no longer existed. It hadn't given off a signal in 13 minutes, and no one had heard from the two officers. It's been 20 hours, and there is still no word, as far as I've heard, on the location of this man. 
but I got way more than I bargained for at work yesterday. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Story number three. There's something underneath Denver International Airport by Darth Varder. About two months ago, I was hired at DIA to maintain their concourse system. For those of you who've never been, there's this neat little train that runs super fast to three separate concourses. A, B, C. It's actually rather fun to ride. Now, as I'm sure you can imagine, this little train requires a lot of work to keep going. So once every week, and usually at night, we decommission it and do some upkeep on all the components involved. It's a sweet gig. Pay is good, job is straightforward, and I have a pretty cool boss. Colorado's not too shabby either. But something happened last night that makes me think I need to get out quick. Now, I'm no stranger to all those conspiracy theories about the place. In fact, being the greenhead, I've been subjected to all sorts of spooky tales told to me by visitors of the airport and co-workers alike. I've heard about Blucifer, the enormous bright blue demon horse statue that killed its creator. How it signifies the coming of the end times and that its hot red eyes glow deep, deep into your soul, driving you slowly mad. I've also heard that the Freemasons, the Illuminati, the secret shadowy government operations all operate in that place. About FEMA, the tunnels, the murals, and the artwork, the shape of the airport itself, that a decade ago, the windshields of 14 airplanes mysteriously shattered. Some said it was the weather. Others whispered that it was electromagnetic pulses being tested deep underground. What many may not know is that these are only the public-facing conspiracies. There's a whole other world of conspiracies passed down from generation to generation of the employees who work here. For instance, a few of my fellows have told me that late, late at night, when they're down working in the tunnels, they can hear what sounds like a barely audible moaning. The moan, they say, isn't high-pitched or low, but both. They say it spans many different voices, like a crowd of people making the same sound all at once. Others have told me a tale about how one worker once got lost in the tunnels long ago. 
and that in his struggles to find his way back to the surface, he found a mysterious room covered in weird glyphs. And on one wall, there was a strange looking keypad. The keypad to nowhere, they called it. And then there's Concourse 23, supposedly built deep, deep underground, below the abandoned tunnels of the automatic baggage system. It apparently has ties to the New World Order, or the army, or Nazi scientists, or maybe all three. Even old Tom, one of the friendly janitors, has complained to me about some supersonic sound that he's been hearing for the past 10 years, making him feel sick, stupid, and he claims it's a mind control experiment. Yes, there are a lot of conspiracies surrounding DIA, but almost all of them are complete bull. Still, there's something quite eerie about the place. First and almost obvious, it just looks weird. It's supposed to mirror the mountains, but instead just looks like a many-pointed circus tent. And second, the entire construction of the place was highly controversial to the locals at the time. They said there was no true need to replace the Stapleton Airport and grew increasingly angrier as the cost of this new, unneeded airport grew exponentially high. And why, they wondered, was it built in the middle of nowhere, in a small valley no less? Despite all this though, I could give you reason after reason why most of these conspiracies can be disproved. Sure, these tales were strange, but they all seemed relatively innocuous to me, and from the first, I viewed them as interesting local lore, nothing more. And yet, there was one conspiracy that tickled me, in a way none of the others ever did. One that even I speculated about, unsure what to believe. I wanted to believe but only because I've seen it. In fact, I've worked near it almost every day. It's the one about the locked door. See, there's this locked door on the way between Concourse B and C. It's hidden inconspicuously between the fans that propel the train forward. Each and every employee who works with the train is given a key to this door but also warned that it must remain locked at all times. In a way, it reminds me of that fairy tale, Bluebeard, and just like the girl in those stories, all of us tried our keys in the mad desperation to quench our curiosity. None have worked, not one. Some suggested that it was just a prank, something to give us fuel for gossip, that there was nothing more behind that door except a long-forgotten closet or a water heater or nothing at all. Others weren't so sure. They peered at the door with squinted eyes and tight mouths, worried about what lay behind it. Many, many, including me, 
speculated. Maybe it was a secret tomb, a place the Masons could go worship, the entrance to Concourse 23, or some other underground base. Me? I just thought it was some sneaky, asinine trick to see which employees were actually trustworthy. If it was, though, it didn't work very well. Or at least no one can be trusted when their curiosity is piqued. We all tried our keys. All of us. The image of the locked door lingered in my mind long after work and occupied much of the time spent laying in my bed before sleep. It was just so strange to me, so enticing, sinister, and yet, for nearly a month, I went about my business without seeing anything out of the ordinary. I remember it clearly when I saw the first indication that something else might be going on at DIA. It was late that night. I was leaving, and I saw a light, dim with moments of intense brightness, and recognized it as a flashlight being pointed slightly towards me and away. Curious, I walked closer to the glass inside the door, expecting to see something, you know, relatively normal. One of my coworkers searching for the batteries we had lost earlier, or maybe the second inspector doing his last rounds of the day. Instead, I saw a man wearing an impeccable black suit and a gas mask. He was squatting by the locked door, looking left and right, down the track and up it. His back was towards me, leaving me almost completely unseen from where I was standing. His smooth leather shoes shined in the dim light, casted by his flashlight, and I could barely make out the hue of his wood-colored hair. He turned to look farther down the tunnel that connected to Concourse C, and I swiftly hid behind one of the walls separating the doors. For some reason, I didn't want that man, whoever he was, to see me. He didn't seem like a normal employee, and my mind instantly jumped to all of those theories I had heard before. After a moment, when my breath had slowed and my heart slid down from my throat, I peered around the wall. The man was gone, and the tunnel was dark. Confused and scared, I left in a hurry. The next day, after a sleepless night, I asked a co-worker I was on friendlier terms with about the man. I was afraid of asking anyone else, afraid they might judge me or think I had finally cracked, or that I was lying, trying to add to the gossip, the lure. I was hoping she would at least give me the benefit of the doubt. Hey, I said, catching her up as she was walking out of the break room. I I saw something last night. She raised an eyebrow. Something here, I continued. I picked up the late shift and when I was leaving, I saw this guy. 
looked like he was examining the locked door. He, um, didn't look official. Or maybe he looked too official. Just a guy in a black suit and a gas mask. Gas mask? She said, clearly skeptical. I nodded. Dude, I know it's legal here, but take it easy. I rolled my eyes, saying nothing. She sighed. Could have just been a fed, checking for a leak or something. But yeah, that that's pretty weird. Don't tell old Tom. We laughed, but inside I felt the fear boiling up in my gut. Who was that man, and what the hell was behind that door? Look, my coworker said, seeing that I was still worried. She looked around us, making sure no one else was near, and lowered her voice. This wouldn't be the first time I've heard of a dude in a black suit acting suspicious in a place he shouldn't and couldn't possibly get access to. I wouldn't worry about it too much, just a normal day in the office. I looked at her and smiled, unsure whether she was being factitious or not. She winked and walked away. Last night my morbid curiosity came true. Last night, the locked door was unlocked and open and I couldn't help myself. It was a bluebeard moment. The second inspector asked me to stay a little later than usual since we had been having maintenance issues with the train all day. He wanted me to do one final inspection before I left for my scheduled three-day weekend. It was late, very, very late, the witching hour as my mom says, and I was one of the few people left in the building. Walking down the tunnel was harder than usual, scarier, and my feet felt like they were cast in steel, heavy, slow. The air itself felt electrified, and I began to wonder about the EMPs and if they really did test them deep, deep below my feet. And that's when I saw it. The door. The door was open. I hesitated for a moment, looking back behind me and peering ahead making sure I was alone before I approached it. Beyond the door was a severe fluorescent light. I could imagine how it looked from afar as I stood there. Inside was a square room. It seemed to be made entirely of a dull metal. It was completely empty. On either side of the room were heavy-looking doors, but one was totally black and shut tightly, while the other was a corroding reddish color and slightly protruding at an odd angle. Leaning next to the wall at the base of the black door was a familiar-looking gas mask. I stared at it for a moment, contemplating whether or not to take it, when I heard a resounding boom. The door to the tunnel slamming shut, I ran to it, panicked, hoping it would slide open with ease, letting me out of this place. It was locked, 
I made my way to the black door, trying the handle, which turned smoothly to the left. But no matter how hard I pushed or pulled, it wouldn't budge. I turned, looking at the other door. It looked sickly. The meadow itself looked like it was rotting from the inside out, flaking off in large sharp chips that littered the floor around it. I approached it cautiously, grabbed onto the handle, it was warm to the touch, and pushed down. It stuck slightly before yielding to my grasp, and swung outwards with a piercing screech of metal on metal. Behind it was a dimly lit staircase that descended into the obscurity below. I stood back for a moment, unsure if I should go down or not, before my curiosity got the best of me, propelling me to take the first step. After that, it became easier, and I began counting the steps to the bottom. I lost count at 123 but soon reached the last landing. I suspected I was about four or five stories underneath the lowest level of DIA. I was standing in an extremely dark, long, and thin tunnel. Looking up behind me, I could barely make out the dim slit of light from the open door I had come through. As I walked deeper into the darkness... My eyes began to adjust, allowing me to see a spooky red glow coming from the end of the tunnel, the exit. It took me a good deal of time to finally reach it, but when I did, I gasped. I was standing in a cavernous area, so high I couldn't even make out the ceiling above me. I looked back. The tunnel was dark impenetrable and above the entryway words were carved the abyss looks back I shook my head looking towards the cavern stilling myself and took the first steps forward shuddering as I heard my footsteps echo loudly around me suddenly a dim beam shot out from above illuminating a small metal table with a single chair. I wondered if there was some sort of movement activation system and became more aware of myself. I walked closer and saw two things, a pool of dark liquid and a smooth black binder lying on the table open to a section that read, Procedure, hope to God it doesn't happen. In case of breach. Mystified, I stepped around the pool of liquid and flipped the binder closed, trying to see what it was called. Scrawled across the top of the binder in white ink was quarantine procedures. I tried flipping it back to the procedure, accidentally letting it go too soon. The cover of the binder smacked into the table with force creating a sound that rang out loud and true in the emptiness I cringed then cowered 
It started immediately. A low rumbling, yet strangely high-pitched moaning. It was like I was hearing several people make the same sound at once. I looked around, trying to find the source of the sound, but saw nothing. I moved forward, apprehensive, and realized I was nearing a great chasm. I could barely make out the edge of it in front of me. I stopped short and peered over it, seeing what looked like nothing, or maybe it was the chasm that went on forever. Either way, it looked empty, endless. But as I stood there, staring below, I began to make out something sick. A mass of what looked like blackened human bodies, twisting together, melted to one another, writhing as if in pain or pleasure. Suddenly, I saw the whites of too many eyes, all looking towards me, glaring. I yelped, reeling backwards and falling. Behind me, a clanging sound rang out and I looked back to see an enormous coagulated blob of burnt black bodies near the small metal table. A few of its hands held the binder, ripping it to shreds. I stood up, it saw me, and froze for a moment. Before making a horrific sound and heaving towards me, I turned and ran as fast as I could, hearing the moaning grow louder in the chasm to the right of me and behind me I could hear it scuffling scraping screaming trying to keep up trying to get me I was nearing an incredibly high wall and ran towards it hoping there was a way out I heard a muted whistle and looked to my left there Underneath a small bulb glowing blue at such a low frequency, I could barely make it out. There was the man in the black suit I had seen weeks ago. He was wearing the same gas mask. His messy, slightly wet hair looked black beneath the light. He waved, then beckoned me over. I took a quick look behind me, scared. And there it was, a great roiling mask of hands and mouths and bare arms, slowly pulling and squeezing and undulating its way towards me. I was scared stupid, unable to move. Hey! I blinked, then leaped into action, running as fast as I could towards the man. He swung the door behind him open as I approached and through it, I could see a brightly lit staircase leading up to a black door with the insignia cut into it. I was too far to see what it was. The man gestured to the door with his head, prompting me to go through it. But, I started to say, I wanted to ask him so many questions. My voice jerked short, cut off by him pushing me through. Not violently or angrily, but like he was trying to save my life. 
I staggered forward, my heart pounding in my chest, my mouth dry. Behind me, the door was creaking closed. I turned and yelled a frantic thank you. He gave me a thumbs up before turning towards that monster and unholstering the pistol on his hip. And as the door swung fully shut, I heard four shots fired and saw four enormous explosions of bright light through the cracks. I'm no expert, but they looked much, much brighter than what simple gunpowder would cause. A high-pitched scream, a low-pitched yell, sounded out in unison, raising the hairs on my arm and making me trip backwards slightly on the stairs before I turned and ran all the way up them. As I neared the black door, the insignia became clear. A lion wearing a crown and a unicorn wearing a bejeweled necklace holding up a shield split into quarters. The symbols in each section were worn and I couldn't make them out. Perched atop the shield was an open eye with an iris in the shape of a 23-pointed star. I only know this because I had time to count. Turns out, the black door was a tinted glass portal to an elevator. I mashed the red button projected on the small touchscreen to the right of the doorframe repeatedly, cursing the elevator for being so slow. Another shot rang out, and the scream rose up again, louder this time, reverberating around the stairway, even through the closed door. A tiny beep sounded, and the glass door slid open as I scrambled inside. It was the size of a small room and lowly lit. A smooth female voice rang out around me. Leaving sub-basement 23. Decontamination in process. Perplexed, I looked around me. Then I looked up. Above me were hundreds of minute jets. I covered my face not a second too soon as the jets activated, spraying me with an unusual, scentless substance that seemingly boiled off my clothes but left my skin and hair soaking wet. The substance was so cold, it burned, and I tried wiping it off with my shirt. Another tiny beep sounded, and the smooth female voice spoke again. Arrived basement level. The glass door slid open, and I lurched out, disoriented, into a lightly illuminated room with a single black door across the way. The walls were covered with strange symbols I didn't recognize as being part of any human alphabet, and I stared at them in wonder, trying to place them. Slowly revolving around the room as I looked, I stopped at the spot where the elevator was, but saw only a blank wall with a single keypad projected on it. I shuddered and headed towards the black door, which opened with ease, and suddenly 
I was back in the 300 square feet metal room. Back where it all began. Behind me, the heavy black door swung shut with a boom. The gas mask lying next to it was gone. The reddish sickly door was closed too, tightly, not stuck out like before. To the right of me, the locked door was locked no more, and I quickly exited the room, hearing it swing shut as I left. The tunnels were brighter now, and I wondered how much time had passed while I was down there. As I was exiting the maintenance door, I ran into my co-worker. She stopped dead in her tracks, looking at me with worried, suspicious eyes. Hey, you're still here? I said nothing. It's just, I talked to the second inspector. He said you went home hours ago, or at least thought you did. He said you never checked back with him. She looked closer at me. Hey, are you okay? And why are you wet? Did something, you know, strange happen? I heard a noise, like screaming. Yeah, 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 I'm fine. I shook my head. No, no, I'm not. I'm sick. Don't feel well at all. Think I may have fainted down there or blacked out. Stress, maybe. I'm gonna go home. Could you let him know? Oh, and I didn't get a chance to fix the fans down there, so yeah. I'm gonna go home and see you Monday. I staggered past her, towards the exit to the airport. Okay, sure, she called after me. Get some rest. But I haven't been able to get any rest. I haven't been able to stop thinking about what happened, what I saw, what is underneath Denver International Airport, who that man was. My mind keeps fluctuating between the idea that the government or some other being may be protecting us all from that monster and the thought that they might not be, that they're trying to weaponize it or are keeping it for further study. Either way, I am afraid. Afraid of what I saw and the implications behind hiding something like that in a place that so many people use on a daily basis. And I fear that I am going slowly mad. When I sleep, a single short phrase rattles around and around and around in my brain. The abyss looks back. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.